Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It's your favourite science nerds back for another week of, you know, our favourite science, ready to go into your ear holes. My name is Claire and with me on the show this week I have Kat and Chris. Hello to the both of you. Hello Claire. Hello. Yo, 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 hello. Um, now, Kat, what have you got for us this week? What are you bringing the, um, our fine listeners in the world of science? Well, a very new exciting therapy for blood cancers. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm super excited. I am an immunologist. I am biased, but I think it's really cool. <laughs> By blood cancers, do you mean like leukemia, that sort of thing? Yes, yes. Yeah. Leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma. The ones that sound the same. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, this is this isn't just one of those headline grabbing cure for cure cancer cure. This is <laughs> this is legit. Well, it works in mice at least. Mm, well, and hopefully we'll see it in humans soon. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, awesome. And Chris, what do you have for us this week? Um, well, you know. Do you have anything that can top cancer cures? <laughs> I was going to try and make an excuse for why my story is not going to top cancer cures, to be honest. Um, <laughs> is this room temperature semiconductors no, again? No, it's not. It's not. It's one of my <laughs> famous home <laughs> physics experiments or on-air oh, physics yes. experiments. Because, you know, it's not anywhere near as serious as curing cancer, but hey, at least it has an audio component that um, is an excuse for a story. So, uh, yes, recently came across a study on the physics and the optimal method of hand clapping. Wow. Um, huh. my, my, um, my baby couldn't help, could uh, use a, a, few, a few tips, I think, on hand clapping. At the moment, she claps with... One fist and one hand. So Excellent. I don't think that's that's, that's optimal. That seems menacing. No, no, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does. Really menacing. So um, I'm also not sure that's yeah, in right. the model that we're talking about. But um, look, it is, it's nothing, there's not going to be anything terribly exciting and groundbreaking here. But look, it's an excuse just to talk about the physics of an everyday thing and to do some sounds over the air. So... Hey. <laughs> well, it I'm does sound fascinating. It. Yeah. And and um, presumably some physicists somewhere have done quite a lot of experimentation on this Ex- already. Experimentation and mathematical models. Thank you, Claire. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Great. Well, um, I mean, what more can you ask for? Cancer cures and um, sound bites from, you know, Chris's, Chris's at-home physics demos it is definitely definitely the show the science show to be listening to so on with the show
So as, as I alluded to, I'm going to be talking about an exciting new cancer therapy, well, a blood cancer therapy specifically, um, but it's, it's really great in that adults and children with advanced aggressive lymphomas have essentially been virtually untreatable up until wow. CAR T-cell therapies were developed mm. and they've offered hope to these patients, which is it's quite exciting. Um, and, and this whole field has kind of got immunologists really, you know, buzzing. Um, so CAR T-cells are an approved therapy for blood cancers, including, you know, I sort of mentioned before, lymphomas, some types of leukemia and multiple myeloma. But the thing is, up until now, you had to redesign the whole treatment for each specific disease and it only works for a very limited number of diseases that it's approved for five different blood cancers. So just right. to give you a bit of background, over the past decade, immunotherapy, so think of immune system and therapy, they're therapies mm -hmm. that kind of strengthen the power of a patient's own immune system to attach tumors. This sort of field has, has been rapidly adopted into cancer treatment um, and immune system boosting drugs have shown the ability to shrink and even eradicate tumors in some people with advanced cancers. Like I've seen photos of, you know, this massive tumor, you give them some immune cell boosting drugs and bam, it shrinks wow. so massively. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if the two of you have heard of immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, no, I haven't. I feel like maybe um, you need to be in the know to, <laughs> yeah, or when, yeah. when you know you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't move in circles, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, well, the discovery of the basic immunology that kind of led to these drugs won people a Nobel Prize, so that's why I just thought maybe. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yes. But just, just to briefly sum it up, the idea is that um, – cancers they're really trippy in that they try and suppress the immune system they try to be like oh, nothing, every, everything's fine here nothing to attack it's all good mm -hmm. in the hood but then these immune checkpoint inhibitors what they do is they block that they're essentially releasing the handbrakes on the immune system so they wow. allow the immune cells to get in there realize something's wrong and fight the tumor so they block the cancer inhibitors yeah they block the block right they block the block the, yeah. the old double block yeah double negatives we like yeah, this wow. in cancer yes. therapy yeah yep yep <laughs> yeah um so that's that's been good but it doesn't work for for all cancers and now car t-cell therapies they're somewhat similar but they're not as widely used as immune checkpoint mm. inhibitors. Um, but they, they show the same sort of ability to eradicate very advanced leukemias and lymphomas, and they can keep the cancer at bay for many, many years, which is a really good thing because it's not just about eliminating it, it's about keeping it gone. Mm -hmm. So T cells, they help orchestrate the immune response. And essentially, if, if you're infected with anything, they'll directly kill cells that are infected because it's kind of like intense quarantine. You're, you're killing cells that are infected because if they're, if they're gone, they can't spread the infection. And it's very, yeah. very similar to a tumor cell. So if you have a cancerous kind of cell, you kill it, it can't multiply and spread. Um, so as the name CAR T cell suggests, T cells are kind of the backbone to this therapy. Right. So, yeah. So what 
people do is they they customize these CAR T-cells for each individual patient. Essentially, they take T-cells from a patient, genetically engineer them in a laboratory to produce kind of proteins on their surface that are called chimeric antigen receptors, or CAR, hence the name CAR, T-cell. Okay, I thought it had something to do with, like... You know, the handbrake vehicle yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly. it's just a clever metaphor cat it is it is but also just a little bonus side note whenever i catch a lift to go to the cafe in the v triple c so like the, the victorian comprehensive cancer center a lot of the main lifts um are like t q r and s and so when you press the button it's like go to car t and you're just like oh it's a joke <laughs> So now you can all be in the know too. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, that is, that's, I'm so glad to hear that, um, yeah, immunologists are just as nerdy and jokes as um, every other, every other scientist. Yeah. You wonder like, why are the main lifts not A, B, C, D? But no, it's all worth it for the car T. <laughs> so back to the science. Um, <laughs> these, these cars um, or these specific proteins, they, they recognize and bind to specific markers or antigens, hence the name antigen receptor, on the surface of cancer cells. Um, so essentially in the lab, it's you're taking T cells and turning them into super T cells. And then these revamped T cells are expanded so that you have like a whole army of them into the millions. And then they're put back into the patient. And if all goes as planned... The CAR T-cells, those super T-cells, will continue to multiply and grow in the patient's body with the guidance from their kind of engineered receptor. And they'll also recognize and kill any cancer cell that that has that sort of target marker on their surface. So it's pretty cool. And they've been... It is clever. And it's like, yes, we can use our own bodies. We can use our own immune systems. And it's worked. So since... 2017 there have been six car t-cell therapies that have been approved by the fda and they essentially are targeting one of two different markers on b cells which are um, a specific kind of immune cell which is sort of the problem immune cell when it comes to the cancers that i referred to so leukemia Mm, lymphoma mm -hmm. um but like i said it's limited but just last Mm. week A research team at the Center for Cellular Immunotherapies at the University of Pennsylvania published a new CAR T-cell strategy to tackle most blood cancers. So they've engineered super T-cells or CAR T-cells to target a marker that's common to nearly all cancerous blood cells. The marker is called CD45, but essentially you can think of it as just a protein or a marker that's found on all of your blood-forming stem cells, meaning pretty much all of your blood cells, your immune cells, the white blood cells, all of them except red blood cells. And um, it's kind of a two-pronged approach, though, because you might think, okay, if you're putting super T cells into a patient that is just going to go and target any of your blood cells, that's mm. probably not the best. <laughs> um, but it's, like I said, this kind of two-pronged approach. So, yes, they're doing that. They're kind of engineering T cells to fight your blood cells, um, specifically the blood cells that are now cancerous. But also what they're doing is they're replacing the rest of the blood stem cells with ones that are genetically tweaked to be invisible 
to these cancer fighters. So that protects them from the onslaught. So that's why it's kind of two-pronged. So you're giving them T-cells to fight, but you're also giving them new or modified stem cells for their blood cells that are slightly altered so they're going to be fine. And is, but is there a risk that they might not be fine, that they might turn bad themselves, the, the new cells? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, the way that they've done it, it's, it's pretty sort of solid. Um, the change is, is done using CRISPR, the, the genome editing sort of technique, and it makes sure that that particular protein, so CD45, is fine and intact and still functional, but it's twigged slightly enough that... It's, it's not a change that's going to happen um, by itself, but it is, you know, this change that's, that's slightly good enough or big enough that those new super T-cells won't recognize it or right. won't see it. Because a T-cell's recognition of its, you know, particular protein is so, so specific. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. It's like a universal strategy for most blood cell cancers, hopefully. And I did say that it's, it's been successful in mice and you kind of do need that two pronged approach because they did try just giving the super T cells and the mice weren't so happy with that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Cause as you can imagine, yes, it's killing the cancer blood cells, but also the others, the the Mm. healthy cells. Um, so yeah, with that two pronged approach, they were fine. And so, yeah, these, these researchers are hoping to get this out into uh, humans as a therapy in the next two years hopefully wow that yeah. um that seems pretty soon yeah and even if if we don't see this particular one also in the same week so in in one week we've had two really exciting papers with this kind of technology um mm. another group published um a slightly different version where instead of targeting CD45, which is the particular protein marker I was, I was referring to, they've chosen a different one. So essentially they've, it's exactly the same sort of thing, except just different target. Mm-hmm. The thing is that one's not on as many blood cancers, but you know, with one of the two, we might get mm. some sort of more universal blood cancer treatment. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science.
Okay, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science, and I am talking about the physics of hand clapping uh, and finding an optimal strategy. Now, when I say an optimal strategy, <laughs> this is what this paper is about. Um, yeah, are we clapping right? We'll be, yeah, well, so I've got to be clear. We're talking about the actual clapping itself. There was work that I vaguely recall. I had to go look it up. There was work published there, I think, in 2013 or thereabouts on hand clapping, like... Um, applause as a social contagion and looking at the dynamics of how that works and how essentially, you know, it spreads. When people hear other people clapping, they start clapping themselves. And so then it's then once, generally once enough people stop clapping that then others will, you know, it works right. in the reverse kind of thing. It's a bit more complicated, right. the, the finishing thing, but it's an interesting kind of thing to think about that if you want to, you can generate applause by deciding to clap and yeah. other people clap along and then if you stop then you could also stop other people from clapping as well so it's an interesting thing to play with i recommend trying that is that. and i imagine you really need to play with the speed of the clap because if you do a slow clap you're not gonna well that's a different I method imagine, yeah. i imagine people aren't going to jump on board as yeah. wholeheartedly well, that particular study, I don't want to get a sidetracked, but that particular study back in 2013 found that the um, the duration of the applause was not necessarily defined by the quality of the performance either. So it's by the behaviour of the audience. <laughs> it's how many friends and family were in the audience. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, now we're talking about um, some recent work by some acoustic engineers uh, from the Technical University of Crete. Um, and their paper called Hand Clap for Acoustic Measurements, Optimal Application and Limitations. Um, this is Nikolaos Papadakis and Georgios Stavroulakis. Apologies to any Greek or Cretan listeners there who's, um, who may have butchered those pronunciations. Um, but yeah, so this came about because, uh, like I said, they're acoustic engineers and they were looking at ways to do acoustic measurements of, say, a space and the kind of the best way of doing measurements of the acoustic properties of a room or a building, um, you need to generate some noise. Uh, there's this thing called dodecahedron speakers that they use, which are these kind of big, what it sounds like. It's like a dodecahedron with a speaker on all 12 faces. And you wow. can generate Ooh. various kind of waveforms from that. And you, you get a very good kind of way of measuring the acoustics. But... You know, they're obviously they're expensive, these things. They're quite bulky. They're quite heavy. They're a bit awkward to cart around. Whereas a lot of people just use a hand clap as an alternative. Um, but no one really studied the, I guess, the acoustic properties in detail of a hand clap. Right. There are other things that people use, by the way. They, they mentioned a few things like um, uh, other preferences, uh, things like a bursting balloon or a starter <laughs> pistol. Yeah, um, but you don't want to freak everyone out at the same time, no, exactly, right? Exactly, but you can just clap your hands. Well, you can just clap your hands. You don't even need a balloon. So basically, they're just trying to find out with the the best way to, to clap your hands for this purpose. Now, um, there was a previous paper that they quoted where someone had actually classified different configurations of hands for clapping purposes. They discovered a few new ones themselves in the process of this work. <laughs> That's often the case. But, look, it's it's pretty essential. So, you know, um, the basic variations are, if you think about, like, hands flat together, like in sort of a praying 
hands kind of configuration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. like your your basic model. Um, then you know you can move the hands again. I mean, no one's really clapping like no. But this is like this is where we start. Like starting point. Yeah, because that's okay. too basic. Okay. Then you can vary. It's it. Too basic. Yeah, you move the hands relative to each other, so you can you know, move up and down. So like you know the um the fingers are against the ridge, or you know part against the palm, or oh, yep. the fingers are fully mm-hmm. against the palm. That sort of thing. And yeah. and then as opposed to that, you can have them at angles, like yeah. say a forty five degree angle. It might be again the palms against each other or fingers part against the palm or fingers fully against the palm, that sort of thing. These are the kind of configurations that they looked at. I mean, like fairy claps, is that considered at all? No, I don't think they considered that. (laughs) Um, No, no, not really, not really. But um, there's a few obvious things that they they didn't pull out. They didn't do finger snaps either or that sort of thing or... (laughs) Um, and I think all these papers, they normally facetiously measure the sound of one hand clapping and say, oh, we can't do that. Mm. Um, but <laughs> look, I'll cut to the chase. The, um, the, the loudest um, claps were the kind of the in-between ones where kind of like the, I guess the bit just below your fingers hits the palm. Um, so if you want to try that, I don't know if you microphone that, that kind of thing, that gives you the loudest hand clap they found. Right. Okay. Okay. But that's not necessarily... And why is that? Well, I'll get to that. That's not necessarily the optimal, okay. I should say, though. Because oh. um, they they had to want to find the optimal for their acoustic measurements. Mm, and okay. to do that, they had to introduce the, the variation of cupping the hands when they clapped. Now... Again, this is not, I told you this is not going to be groundbreaking research. It's all pretty obvious <laughs> stuff. Look, when I was researching, looking for stories to talk about, I've got to be honest, one of the other ones that took my attention was a very detailed study about how cats like the taste of tuna. Um, <laughs> oh, I that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I like, mean, dear listeners, you know, can can we please um, can we please ad- advocate for Chris to do that story next week? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll try to do that one. Okay, so so the um, essentially so the, the the kind of the flat hand situation um, and all this 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 kind of the physics of this was actually modelled in a paper back in 2013 by um, an ANU researcher Neville Fletcher. Um, oh yeah. And so he modeled, Australian researcher. Yeah, he modelled um, sort of flat hands and then the cupped hand configuration. Now, when you the simple version of, of the perfectly flat hands, he's like kind of perfectly fat spherical hand, not spherical circular hands. Um, but when you combine two surfaces like that together, what happens is you generate a shock wave as the surfaces come together. Eventually, the escaping air comes from between the, the hands. It um, reaches the speed of sound, it exceeds the speed of sound. And this is how you get this loud mm. clapping sound. Yeah, cool. Mm. So that's, that's basically what's going on in your basic situation. But when you cup the hands, you introduce a new situation where it's not a straightforward kind of shockwave thing right at the very end. You introduce what's called a Helmholtz resonator. Oh, amazing. Now, this is named after a German scientist, Hermann von Helmholtz. Now, a Helmholtz <laughs> resonator, the basic version of it is like um, you know a beer bottle you blow across the top of it. Oh, yes. oh yep, 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 yep. So it's basically a container like a, with a small opening. So then you get a resonant frequency from inside that container. Um, so what happens is when you cup your hands, you get a similar kind of thing. And you can try this out. So if you put your hands together, um, it's kind of like a, little, okay. like a little kind of spherical thing, with your thumbs like 
just touching each other. And so we, you mean hands cupped together, cupped together. not not. Yeah. Straight. Yeah, they yep, cut together okay. and you have your thumbs yep. each other with a small opening and you blow yep. across the end of that. You can usually get a kind of a sound. A... <sighs> uh, I think I might just be blowing into the microphone. But I, th- I think I can hear yeah, yeah a little I'm, bit of I'm, a resonance. It's not working well. It worked very well the other day when I was trying. I think I know what you're talking about. It's always something that I've struggled with though. Yeah, like I, yeah. I see other people doing it and I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. You get the idea. You get this kind of whistle sound sort of thing. Mm. Um, it's actually, interestingly, the same phenomenon that makes a seashell give that kind of that mm. echoey sound that's acting like a Helmholtz resonator. And in fact, that situation you've got your hands cut with a thumb. You can hold that up to your ear and you will hear, um, not, with, not with your the headphones ocean. on. Yeah. Well, you'll hear kind of the, the resonating sort of sound of, of your oh, hands. I mean, yeah, the ocean. So essentially what happens is when you when you clap your hands together cupped, um, you get this kind of Helmholtz resonator effect. You get a, a lower frequencies at the at the level of the, the resonance of the, the cup situation. So if you try that, you're familiar with that kind of sound? You're going to try it yes. yourself? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. So... Yeah, you basically you're generating these lower frequencies that you do just from the, the flat hands, um, yeah, and very the, much so. the lower frequencies are generally better for testing the acoustics of spaces um, yeah. because that's where you often uh-huh. get the, the problem reverberations and things that you want to get rid of and that sort of stuff. So that's what they landed on was that the um, yeah the flat hands was the loudest clap, but the um, the cupped hands had better performance at the lower frequency level, which is what they wanted for their acoustic measurements. Um, what this means if you're in a you know in an audience and you want to applaud, I'm not sure. Um, I'm thinking that because this was designed for, I guess, acoustic resonances in in buildings and things like that, maybe the cupped hands is a good strategy if you're in a, in an indoor audience. Um, because it might echo mm. around the space better. But if you're outdoors, probably I would say stick with the, the flat hands for the for the mm. loudest clap. And yeah, that's 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 my thinking. I haven't tried this out in detailed mm-hmm. experiments, I've got to say. But um, just from the theory alone, I would say that'd be a good strategy. And of course, remember you can also then control the audience. If you'll clap loud enough, you could probably make them start and stop clapping whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, use your power wisely. Well, if you're happy and you know it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now. We're at the same time every week when we all get Lost, lost in Science. science.
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.